the youth, the young people of our church. Because we're going to be looking in a few weeks' time, we're going to look at the church. It's going to be one of the topics that we cover. And as a church, we need to be growing. And part of growing is seeing our young people grow to take responsibility. And that's really on our hearts as a church, to see those youngsters that are growing in this church recognize that they have a role to play in the future of what God has to do in this place and through us in Harefield Church. And I think it's lovely that we've been able to pray for the youth this morning and, and, and give thanks for what God is doing there in their lives. So that's amazing. I want to continue that theme of prayer, really, this morning. Excuse me. There we go. I want to, <laughs> I want to continue... I want to continue that theme of prayer. And as I come to talk and, and just share a little bit about what the, the next series is going to be and what I feel God's put on my heart for this morning, I wanted to start with this. I want to start with Ephesians. Here we go. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. It's a prayer. And I want to read that as a prayer over us. This morning, I just, I just feel that the way the songs have gone today, I, I've not spoken to Sharon about what songs to put in and what to lead, and one of the songs that she chose just fitted beautifully into what I want to say in a few minutes. But I, I also just sense that the theme that's coming through within the worship this morning is also part of what God wants to do in us. Let me read to you this prayer in Ephesians from Paul. And he says, When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Still not working. Can you put the mouse over it and wiggle it? There we go, moving on. May you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of the life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his almighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever Amen. We're starting a new series this morning. And the series title is, The Hills Are Alive. This still isn't, there we go. I know, I just had to do it. I'm really, I'm not sorry, I just had to do that. I mean, actually, the picture that I had was that one, the, the sort of the drawing one where she's like this and she's got the guitar in one hand and she's that one that everybody, that the, the hills are alive. I just, I couldn't help it, I had to go there. 
This story actually, though, the, the, the reason why we've chosen this title, the reality behind even this is not as golden as it seems from this. And there's, there's, I had a look for all the pictures that you can get, and there's lots of them having picnics and all sorts of different things. You know, it's really quite, quite lovely. And in the film, the film tends to be a bit more of a, a whirlwind love story between Maria and, and Georg von Trapp. The, the, the gentleman who, who he goes, uh, she goes to help with the kids. You know the story. I'm teaching you to suck eggs here, but just, it's part of what I want to say, so I'm going to say it anyway. So there's this sort of love story that happens, and it's a bit of a whirlwind love story, and he sort of, he, he breaks off his engagement with his, with his, his former sort of fiance, and he falls in love with Maria, and they get married, and that seems to be the, the focus. And there is a sort of a, a nod to what's going on, but actually, there is this undercurrent that's happening in this story. And if you look, if you, actually, if you've been to the theatre presentation of it, I believe that the reasons why he broke off the engagement with his former uh, fiance was linked to the fact that she was more sympathising with what was happening in the country, with the Nazis coming in and all that sort of stuff was happening. And the point that I'm trying to make here is that, you know, the Christian walk is not always sunshine and picnics. The Christian walk has a backdrop of real gritty, grunty, hard stuff that we go through. And that is really what we're doing with this, with this, um, with this, this series. The hills are alive. It's a bit of a play on words, really. The hills are alive, yes, with all sorts of gritty, grunty things that we have to deal with and things that we have to push through in our lives. And so that is what we're coming to. Let me, let's just, let's just pray. First, before we move on, let's just, let me just pray and, and just bring, uh, bring us to the Lord a minute. Father God, I pray now for your hand upon us as we look at some of these things. As we come before you, Lord, we carry all sorts of baggage with us. Yes, Lord, we recognize that life is hard and difficult at times. And we're walking through that and we come into your presence now with all of that. And I pray now that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will speak to us. Speak into our individual situations. And would you touch us and would you give us a sense of your presence, your hope and your love. Father God, I pray that now as we go into this. In your name. Amen. Before I move into my topic for this morning, I want to come back to Ephesians chapter 3. I just want to look at that a little bit more because I don't want us to gloss over that. I read that as a prayer over us. We prayed for youth this morning in this room. We had Pete come forward and pray over the youth. And it was a prayer, an active prayer. It was a seeking God for a work in the life of our youth. And I saw this prayer, even though Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago to this group of people in Ephesus, I felt God was saying, I'm praying this. Paul prayed this over you. I really felt that was what God was saying. And and I just wanted to come back to um if if you look if you look at, at the Ephesians and you go chapter one, verse nine, it says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And then it goes on in in verse 12. It says, God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles, 
have also heard the truth. So Paul is speaking not just to the Jews. He's speaking to the Gentiles. Because he's talking about this mystery that God has, has, has revealed to him. And, and, and Ephesians, he's expounding on that and he's talking through that and he's sharing that with these people. God's purpose that, that we the Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God and now you Gentiles have also heard this truth. The good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you his Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. And then finally, later on, at the end of the bit that I'm going to go back to in a minute, that chapter 3 prayer, it's, he says, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. That prayer is for now, for today. Paul prayed that prayer with a vision of eternity in his heart. And so I want to tell you, and it's important, it is really important this morning. I just feel so constrained by God to say, it is so important that you grasp that. This prayer actually is for you and is prayed over you as if Paul, like Peter when he came down and prayed for the youth, as if Paul was standing here and praying this prayer over us. And I want you to hear it again in that context. So Ephesians, first part of it, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and pray. What is he thinking? What is the all this? Let's just pause for a moment. What is the all this? If you look back, if you look back through chapters two and uh, one and two, you'll see at the beginning of one, he's talking about spiritual blessings. All praise to Jesus who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings. Then he's turning at the beginning of chapter two, he's made you alive. The things he's remembering is, when I think of all this, he's thinking about the spiritual blessings, he's thinking about being made alive in Christ. God, rich in mercy, love and grace, has given us life when he raised Christ from the dead. He's also thinking about our oneness and our peace in Christ. You've been given, you've been united with Christ, brought near and received his peace. How? By his death. And Paul is also thinking about us being a temple. No longer strangers, we are citizens, members of God's family, the holy temple of the Lord. He's, I believe that Paul is thinking of all those things and then he's praying them over us. So we are thinking about all those things and being prayed over us today. And this is important. This isn't just an add-on to my preach. This is really important. It's really important for today, the topic that we're going to cover. It's really important for the topics that we're going to face over the coming weeks to recognize these things. And he says this. He says this, To the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Amen. That is prayed over you this morning by Paul. And then he goes on. Then Christ will make his name in your hearts, as, sorry, will, will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. That is being prayed over you this morning, no matter how you feel or where you're coming from. That is being prayed over you this morning. Verse 18, And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, long, high, how deep His love is. 
May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. And then you will be made complete. With all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And verse 20, Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power, at work within you and me, to accomplish what? Infinitely, infinitely more than we might ask or think. When we're going to look at the things we're going to look at, we need that infinite more of God in our lives. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that is Paul's prayer over us this morning. Let us receive it as if Paul himself was standing here and smiling at us and saying, people, church, Harefield, the letter to Harefield, this is my prayer for you. As the song we just sang says, this is who we are. I didn't know Sharon was going to use that song. We are blessed, we're alive, we're at peace, and we're part of God's family. But I don't feel it yet. Okay. But put that to one side for a minute because what I've just said is a fact. It's a truth. That is not a feeling. It's not a hope. The facts are that we are blessed in Christ. We are alive in him. He has given us his peace. And we are part of his family if we've asked him into our lives, if we've given ourselves to him. They are facts. No matter how you feel right now, that is a fact. And we have to grab hold of our thinking. We have to grab hold of our emotions. We have to grab hold of our hearts. And we have to say, I am going to look to those facts. By We are not crushed when we face these situations but we will be victorious in Christ. And that is who I am. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more. This series, I believe, is about hope. The hills are alive is about hope. It's about knowing who you are in Christ. And I believe the challenge this morning to us is, do we believe that? Do we? Because honestly, yeah, I, it's, it's not always easy, is it? And it really isn't. Let me just share something with you that I think help illustrates where I believe God wants us to be. I hope this works. It should play. Click it. No, let's go back. Oh, it's not playing. Never mind. I had... Granddad, I made you some cupcakes for your birthday. I love you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love that. I, was, I just... <laughs> she's my granddaughter, and of course I think she's absolutely cute. Um... She made these cupcakes and we got this photograph. By the way, top left, um, that's supposed to be me. <laughs> top right, Sharon. You can see the lips. It's supposed to be Sharon. 
The next two, I think the left one underneath me, I think that's Reuben, and I think the one under Sharon is Myla, and then the other two down there who just had sprinkles on, that was their mum and dad. Yeah, cute. <laughs> but then I would think that, she's my granddaughter. Do you know, Myla made me cupcakes. Myla. Myla made me cupcakes. What is she, four? Five? She's five. She did it. Her mum was there, but she did it. Myla didn't doubt whether she could make cupcakes. When her mum said to her, do you want to make cupcakes? Yeah, let's make cupcakes. I checked, I asked her, I said, you know, what? she said, yes, I asked her if you want to make She said, yeah, let's make, I, I, want to make, I want to make cupcakes. She didn't doubt it. She didn't, didn't sort of start stressing about it. She made me cupcakes, and her mum was there. Myla enjoyed making cupcakes. She absolutely loves it. She loved it. And her mum was there. She didn't start questioning. She didn't wonder if she could or she couldn't. She didn't wonder whether they were going to come out wrong or whether she wasn't going to get the sprinkles in the right place or anything like that. She just made me cupcakes. You see, Myla made me cupcakes, but she could only do it because her mum was there. And I believe that's what God wants us to get to. There's some scriptures. If, as I was thinking about this, there is a couple of scriptures. Matthew 18, 24, uh, sorry, 18, 2 to 4 says, Jesus called the little child to him and put the child amongst them and then said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sin and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then again, there's, there's another scripture following on from that. In, in Ephesians again, later on in Ephesians, uh, Paul says, follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children. There is a naivety with children. There was a naivety with Myla. Yes, I can make cupcakes. The fact that she really and honestly, truthfully, if you're going to be a grown-up and look at this thing and pull it all apart, no, she couldn't make cupcakes because she couldn't go to the shop. She couldn't buy the bits and pieces. She couldn't put it all together. She wasn't allowed to turn the oven on. All those sorts of things. No, but Myla made cupcakes. And it wasn't a problem. And I think sometimes we are so grown up we have lost the ability when the Lord says, I will do exceedingly more abundantly in you. When God says, my power and my strength is there. When God says, I will give you my peace and my grace. I think we, we, we are so grown up and so wise that we start looking at all the problems instead of just doing it with Dad. He wants us to be like children. He wants us to come to dad with that childlike naivety. If I've told you that I will help you through, then I'm going to help you through. If I've told you I will never leave you, then I will never leave you. God loves me and you unconditionally. And he loves us constantly and consistently. There is nothing that I can do to earn his favor. There's nothing I can do to earn his love. There's nothing that I can do to make that love more and even more, there is nothing I can do to break that love. There is nothing I can do to destroy that love. Not one thing. There is no sin that will break the love of God towards me. 
Does that mean I walk out and I, I go and I, I just take it for granted and I, 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 I just say, it doesn't really matter? No, it doesn't. Because grace stirs my heart towards God and love fills my heart because he gives me love for him. But know this, there is nothing we can do to destroy God's love for us. He takes delight in us. Why? Because he has made us. He's made you and me. And he delights in that. And he delights, it gives him joy when he sees us thriving and recognizing. The glorious truth is that we're not talking about some cold theological stuff here. And I still haven't said what the topics are, I know, deliberately. We're not talking about some cold theological lists and ideas and, 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 and a system that, that helps you get through problems. We're talking about a relationship with God. question again is, do we believe it? I think that what we're going to be covering in our topics, and over the weeks we're going to be looking at addiction, that's my, my topic for today, we're going to be looking at lukewarm Christianity and a loss of faith, depression, loneliness, finance, insecurity, job insecurity, bereavement, grief. I mean, goodness, these things. We've got a heavy list here, church. And that's why we need to come back to where we started, that Paul, that prayer from Paul over us. We are more than conquerors. That wasn't actually that prayer, but that is part of Scripture. We need to have the assurance that there is hope, that we are beloved children, and there is a mighty power at work within us. So let's come to addiction. Let's look at our topic for today, addiction and relapse. Can I just say, I have pondered long and hard over what I'm going to say this morning. I've thought about it. I am not coming to you and saying, I'm going to give you a simple set of three points. You apply this and all those problems will disappear. That is not, I believe, what God or how God works. What I want to do this morning is give you some pointers. I want to give you a starting point where you can work out with God working through these situations if you're facing them. I want to give you some encouragement, encouragement that you can come through to victory. I believe you can. You see, addiction is a very serious matter and overcoming addiction can be a very serious issue. And sometimes we need to recognize that dealing with addiction, there are consequences of addiction. There are side effects of addiction. There is, there is a space, there is a place where we may need medical help or we may need counselling help. Yes, I'm not taking those things away, but we do them in the context of recognising what is beneath and, uh, and behind all of this sort of thing. What is at the root of addiction? And I'm talking about all sorts of things, from pornography to drink, Sex, smoking, drugs, and eating too much. And maybe watching too much television. And just putting other things before God and because they become so important in our lives. Addictions can be all sorts of different things. And yes, I'm talking about them all. And that's why I'm saying there is no simple answer. I can't just give you a quick answer today. It would be wrong for me to do that. If you're dealing with addiction, 
whether it is pornography or something else or, 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 or drink or whatever it is, if you're dealing with that, I believe God can heal you. The world's view is that you can never be truly healed of addiction, that there is always something that will drive you back because it's a medical condition. I believe that at its root, it's a spiritual condition. Let's have a look at Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. And it says in there, Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Debauchery. What is debauchery? Interestingly, the, the, well, Google gave me this, so I suppose it must be right. Debauchery is an excessive indulgence in sex, alcohol, or drugs. Well, I expect it could also be food and other things as well. It's an excessive indulgence. And actually, I like, I like the way that the uh, King James Version um, puts it. In, in uh, the verse 18 there in the King James, it says, Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I think the root of addiction is that it is a bondage that begins with a choice that leads to a behavior that is in excess. Okay, I, I, it's a very sort of nice little package to put it into. And I know it can be a lot more complicated than that. So I'm not, I'm not nailing that up as, as definitive. But one way of seeing it is that, and I do believe that there is, there is a spiritual um, part behind addiction because what we must not forget, church, as we go forward, and so often we don't talk about these things because it is right to focus on God and, and focus on, on glorifying Jesus, but we do at times need to recognize that we're in a battle, that we are fighting a war against principalities and powers. And let me just say this, if you are battling with addiction, and let me bring temptation into this because I believe temptation is part of this, the driver in all of this, if you are battling with that in your life, I just want to ask you, be gracious with yourself. Show yourself grace. God is gracious with you. If God can be gracious with you, and he knows more about you than you know yourself, be gracious with yourself. And I'll explain that a little bit more later on. I'll, I'll come to the reason why we need to do that. But just be gracious. Don't end up becoming condemnatory of yourself. The problem is with these things like addiction and, and, and temptations and the stuff that we go round and round and I'm not going to do that anymore and we end up doing it again. I know. I have done that. I've been there. At different sorts of things. There's all sorts of ways we can face these things. And we end up going round and round in circles. We must be careful. Let's, let's look at Ephesians 6, 10 to 12. It says, a final word. So Paul has laid out stuff that God has done for us at the beginning of this, this letter. He's then prayed that into the lives of, of, of us and the, the Ephesians. And then he's expounded on some of that through the next few chapters. And then finally, right at the end, he says this, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. You will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. That doesn't mean all the strategies of the devil will go away. It means that when they come, you will stand. 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Put on your armor. And that is what the Lord is asking us to. We are in a battle and the enemy is out to neutralize us. I was watching a program. It's, I don't know, one of these ones on the History Channel, I think it was. And it's just talking about things from the past, inventions from the past. And it's one of them ones where they decided they were going to look at munitions and guns and bombs and all sorts of things. And they were talking about these, these, um, the things that we, we have they're supposed to be banned at the moment in, in the world, but they're not, and they're probably all over Ukraine, little landmines, anti-personnel landmines that have one function for existing, and that is to just take the leg off of somebody who stands on it. They don't even want to kill the person. They just want to maim them. Why? Forgive me for getting a bit gritty, but why? Because the resource involved in looking after that person, after they have been maimed, after they've been hurt, not only is that person taken out, but a whole bunch of people around them are taken out as well. There is a nasty, devilish idea behind that stuff. And they all started as little three-sided triangles that used to be thrown under the hooves of the horses and under the feet of the, of the elephants in, back in the, in, in, the, in the early days. Do you know what? Satan's like that. We need to put on our defensive armour. We need to turn away because Satan is seeking to neutralise us and neutralise as many people around us as he can. And so, what am I saying? Am I trying to get you all depressed? No, I'm not. This is just life. But we need to be aware of it. And we need to allow that message from Paul, that prayer over us. We can do anything. We have the resources of God, the infinite resources of God. And God has infinitely wonderful things for us to get involved with. We need to hold fast to that because we will face problems. We will face problems. Be defensive. Put on the armor. We need to, if we put on that armor, the armor that, 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 that we read of in Ephesians there, the armor that, that protects us, it's not about just reading that passage and saying, I put on the armor. It's about reading the scriptures, allowing them to soak into us, allowing the truths of God to become part of, and reminding ourselves because it's so easy to forget. There's an old chorus. My father absolutely loved it. And it goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. What Satan wants for us is that we start looking at the problems. We start focusing in on the hardships. 
we start focusing in on the letdowns and the things that we've done wrong and the things that we've done and the repetitions and how many times that's happened. If you're in a situation, if you're under constant attack in temptation, if you are facing addiction in your life, Satan will love to just play on that and take your focus off of Jesus, to take your eyes off of him. That's an old song. My dad used to sing it all the time. And I used to think it was very old-fashioned. But as I was thinking this week, I realized how important it is that we do that. If you're going through an addictive situation, if you are struggling with whatever it may be, start looking at Jesus. Because the easiest thing in the world is to focus on the problem. Breaking an addiction is about focusing on the Lord, not the addiction. It is about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is about worshipping the Lord from your heart. It's a spiritual problem that can be broken spiritually. And I believe God can bring healing. Hey, we're back to Mark 12, 30 to 31. I'm not going to put it up there. But Mark 12, 30 to 31, that scripture where it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, and all your strength. And in finishing, just a few practical tips maybe. Again, I hesitate because I don't want to make this out to be a list, a definitive list, do this and it's all. But these are sort of like pointers because one of the enemies, little anti-personnel minds is temptations. He slings these little temptations out at us. And we need to know how to deal with them. So first of all, Psalm 119.9. How can a young man, interesting, we prayed for the youth, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word of God. With all my heart I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Be offensive. Be in the scriptures. Be in God. Keep your relationship with the Lord good. Spend time with him, not just praying about the problem, but as I have discovered through the mornings recently, just sitting quietly and then suddenly discovering that I'm worshipping. Just reading the scripture, not because I'm seeking something to help me with that issue, but just because I'm reading the scripture. Be proactive. Have a strategy in our lives. We need to. Be offensive proactively walk with the Lord. And the second, be defensive. We need to be defensive. That is actively resisting temptation. 1 Corinthians, um, 1 Corinthians 10.13, I'll let you do it because I know, I know it will happen then. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond you are able. But... With the temptation, will provide the way of escape. And so often we stop there. And it finishes with, so that you be, will be able to endure it. So often I think as Christians, we get so caught up with God taking away the problem. I'm going to pray. I haven't got money. I'm going to pray that God's just going to put money in my bank account. I'm not well. I am tired. I'm exhausted all the time. I haven't got the energy, the emotional energy. I haven't got this. Lord, just give me all that stuff. And we're crying out to God. 
I'm in pain. Take the pain away. And we're crying out to God. I'm not saying God won't. I'm saying that our priority at that moment should be, Lord, give me the grace. Because even the 23rd Psalm talks about us walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We walk through it. And here, it is so that we can endure it. God will help. And praise God. Absolutely praise God. Glory to Him. He is so gracious to us that there are times He completely takes it away. But what we need to do first is ask Him to help us to get through. There's another scripture that I want to just bring to your, your thinking. That's Genesis, and it's Genesis chapter 39. Being proactive, being, being, um, not, not only being, um, offensive, but being defensive when we're facing temptation is the Joseph method. What do I mean by that? Run. Quite simply, run. Leave your cloak and run. When you are faced with temptation, when you are faced with doing that thing again, Build into your thinking a strategy that can enable you to pause for a second and then run and take yourself out of the situation. Look at that scripture there. Verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I love this. You can read the whole story. He was handsome in form and appearance and it came after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. And he refused. So she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me! And he left the garment in her hands and fled and went outside. That's what we need to do when we face temptation. Flee. Stop. And then run. And don't try and be brave. Don't try and be cool. Don't try and be in control. Just run. Because sometimes... That is what we need to do. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted to be on what you are able, but with the temptation will provide you a way of escape so that you will be able to endure. Be proactive. And finally, the last thing to say is this. And it's found in Hebrews 4, 16. Let us come boldly, to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. We need to pray. Stop. Flee. And pray. That's not the answer, but it is a way. Today is about pointers. You see, that scripture there, it says that the throne of our gracious God and we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help in time of need as promise. Grace and mercy, God will not turn us away. If you're struggling, speak to someone. Talk to us. Somebody can pray with you. There's a lot that you need to do. There's a lot that you and the Lord need to do together. But we can support and we can encourage. Remember, have grace with yourself. Have grace with yourself. God has got grace for you. And the bottom line is, is 
it's about a relationship with God. It's about relationship with Him. We need Him working in us. We need to recognize that He's our loving Father, that with Him all things are possible. Getting back to where I started, we need to come as children with a naive expectancy that because my dad's there, it's going to be okay. Let us pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you are there for us, that we have spoken some facts about you this morning. Lord, we don't always feel them, but I thank you that they are true, and I pray that you will help us to look to them when we're in that place of temptation, when we're struggling with that addiction. I pray that you will help us. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, will you come in this place? Holy Spirit, just fall in this place right now. Bring your hope into all of our hearts. Father God, we are in a world where there will be a battle We know that we're on the winning side. We know that you have the victory. We know that your death and resurrection has ended the the, the ultimate power of Satan. But we are still in that battle. There are still skirmishes that we fight. Help us, Lord, to go through those battles. Give us testimony of your presence. Build our characters in you. And strengthen us, Lord, I pray. And we ask these things in your name. If, if you need to talk to somebody, then I'll be down the front and there'll be others you can speak to this morning. Please don't go without talking to somebody. Amen.